Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. It's good to see you guys here this morning. We've been in a series now for a couple weeks called The Greatest Gift of All. Say, The Greatest Gift of All. Now, who is the greatest gift of all? Who is it? Jesus, the greatest. Sorry about that, guys. Got that? That was me. The greatest gift of all is Jesus. And we've been having this main text that we've been going over in John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. And I want to read this this morning. I like reading this before each and every you know, message here. And I love this in the mirror translation because we know that for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He gave his one and only son. But I love how Francois de Troyes translates this here. Yes, he's French, by the way. It says, the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection. Think about this. And I know I've said it before, but you know, Pete, he was preaching years ago, and I still remember to this day, the soul loves of God. God so loved. It's not just, well, he kind of had this, you know, little emotional feeling. It was a soul loved. He so loved us. But look how he breaks this down. The entire cosmos, all of creation is the object of God's affection. He goes on to say, and he is not about to abandon his creation. You know, sometimes I think we have this idea that God has just given up or he's about to give up. He's this close to giving up. And before we know it, Jesus is coming back on a horse with a sword to slaughter people. Because we got some really bad, messed up eschatology. Sorry if that's what you believe, but, but that's not true according to the Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's not a God of love, everlasting love and kindness, and all of a sudden he isn't. just doesn't make sense to me. So sometimes we need to get our theology wrapped around Jesus not around man-made religion. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everyone. Look at this. And he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son, look at this, is for humanity to realize their origin in him who mirrors their authentic birth. Who mirrors your authentic birth? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, the Godhead. This is powerful. Look at this. Begotten not of flesh, but of the Father. Now, this, this is huge to me. This is Christmas in a nutshell to me because Christmas is all about the incarnation. It's God in flesh. You've heard me talk about this quite often, even through the year, but I think it's important that we see God did not despise human flesh because he entered into it. He entered into human flesh. He entered into humanity, his birth, his life, his burial, and his resurrection. This is the big deal right here, the resurrection. I believe from that day forward, the brand new creation bursting forth. And we can choose to participate or reject. There's only two choices. I choose to participate. How about you? But look at this, it says, in this persuasion, the persuasion of this mirroring, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. Look at verse 17. 
God has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son not to be the judge, it's really important, but the savior of the world. Can I get an amen on Christmas morning service? Man, this is so powerful. Like, there's so much just in this, but we'll go on. But there's so much just in this that, like, I'm preaching myself happy, like my dad used to say, and I'm hoping I'm preaching you happy as well, that God, he favors you. He loves you. The very fact that he inhabited human flesh was to say, I'm okay with you. Are you okay with me? Do you have some distorted pictures of who you think I am? Because I'm trying to clear it up through Jesus. And that's really why Jesus came. The greatest gift ever given was Jesus. It was God giving himself. But here's the thing. Unwrapping the gift of Jesus has so many layers, doesn't it? And so we've been talking about that for the last couple weeks. These different layers that this gift of Jesus has. Because there's so much to discover, amen? There's, there's this, it's this life of awakening, I believe, to what's available to us through Jesus, this gift, the greatest gift of all. So on this very special Christmas service morning, and how many, did, did you wake up this morning and think, man, Christmas is like a few days away? What's going on? You know, we've been at home a few times. I just said, man, it doesn't feel like Christmas, but what does that really mean? You know, and I'm just thinking about this. We, we build this season on a way that we feel. And I love the feelings, guys. Come on. I mean, uh, a, a little, uh, little Frank Sinatra. Come on. A little Christmas stuff. Uh, Count Basie. Come on. Come on. Good stuff. You know, you got the Christmas tree and the lights and all that stuff. And I love that, that season. But I really want us to celebrate Jesus all year long. I want us to celebrate this incarnation all year long. But today I really want to discuss this layer that we receive in Jesus, and it's this, the gift of family. Say that with me, the gift of family. The gift of family is, is so important. Understanding that you belong is so important. Do you realize that Jesus came to show you that we belong? That's what I'm trying to get, get through. That's what the Apostle John was trying to get across to us here in John three sixteen and 17, that Jesus came to show us that we belong. He came to show us the true heart of God, who God really was, because religion had convoluted this idea. It had just messed things up. It, it was like this veil, the apostles tell us. There was a veil over our eyes, and we couldn't see the Father. We couldn't see God. We couldn't see the divine for who he truly was or who she truly was, because, by the way, he's got male and female characteristics, but he's spirit, so he's neither. Ladies, can I get an Amen. I know some preachers that even when they say father, they're like, I get that Jesus introduced father, but man, like, I don't want to leave the ladies out either because God's all in all. It's beautiful. He can be whatever you need him to be, but ultimately he's your source of life. In fact, that word father, pater, in the Greek means origin or source. So we don't even have to make it male or female. We can just say, wow, that's my source. That is my source of life. That is what I mirror, the image and likeness of God. And when we awaken to this, we do life differently. How many have found that out in their life? But there's a really important point that I want to get across this morning. And if there's nothing else you remember today, both here or online, I want you to remember this. Jesus didn't come. Let me say it this way. Jesus wasn't here to change God's mind about us. He was here to change our minds about God. Say this with me. 
Jesus wasn't here to change God's mind about us. What's it say? He was here to change our minds about God. See, sometimes we flip that around, don't we? We we picture this angry God who can barely stand the sight of us. And Jesus is up in heaven. And he says, Father, I know that you really can't stand humans, but I kind of love them. Can I go and can I somehow just show you how good they can be? And God's like, whatever, Jesus. And he goes to his little corner. And then, you know, as he's going through his life, Jesus comes in touch with all different people, different walks of life. And he loves them and he accepts them. He shows them that they're worthy. He shows them where they come from, but yet he gets to the cross and it's like for some reason, God needed someone to die because he's full of anger and vengeance. The thing we, we, we forget is that God was right there all along. I believe that God was on the cross with Jesus. So the cross must mean something else and we're not gonna you know, get into uh, you know, any type of theories on the cross or the atonement theories that are out there. There's several. But I really see the cross as this ultimate display of love. This is what love looks like. And God is there on the cross saying, I love you this much. I'm not angry at you. I often say it like this. If someone were to come to my children and they were to deceive them into doing something that's hurting them, would I be mad at my children or the one who deceived them? If there's any anger that God has, this is what I believe, it's against sin. It's against what sin has done. Because we've studied this before, I'm going way off my notes, so just enjoy it. But I've talked often about what sin means, the word hamartia in the Greek, right? The, the original language that the New Testament was written in. And that word actually means to operate outside of your true identity or true self. See, sometimes we, we're like, well, I look at some porn online or I cussed somebody out on the expressway or I cheated on my wife or I cheated on my taxes or I stole something from the job site. We, those are sins. That, that's just a, an outflow of sin. It's an outflow of not knowing who you truly are. If you know who you truly are, you're going to operate outside of that. Does that make sense? That's the flow of who you are. And so, of course, I believe that God's angry at what sin does to us, but he loves us. And that's why he came and inhabited human flesh. Let me say it again. Jesus wasn't here to change God's mind about us. He was here to change our minds about God. This should bring us such excitement. Merry Christmas. You know, my kids, they would, every year they ask me, they ask me, Dad, Dad, how many days till Christmas? How many days till Christmas? I'm counting down, like, how many days till Christmas? I'm like, Bianca, you're 31 now. You should be able to do the math, honey. You should be able to do the math. It's just, you know. But honestly, when my, when my kids were little, I mean, every single one, they, they're excited for that day. They can't wait for that day. And, you know, they're so excited because why? Well, they're excited because they want to celebrate Jesus. No, they want to open gifts. 
Let's just be honest, right? Now, in our household, we, we share Jesus and how amazing Jesus is and the, the Christmas story that we choose to believe about incarnation. And we talk about it on different levels. And we'll talk some more tonight, honey, about that, okay? But, but they're so excited because of the gifts. They love to unwrap gifts. We have this tradition where every year the kids can choose one gift to open on Christmas Eve. Now we've kind of changed it up because now we have like kids and grandkids and part, separate parties and all this. So like the kids living at home, they pretty much open all their gifts on Christmas Eve because we have another Christmas on Christmas morning. But we had this tradition where they would be really excited to open that one gift. Now this started when I was a kid. And I actually vividly remember this. We would go every year for the annual Brancic party. Jay, you remember this party? It was so awesome. It'd either be at Grandpa and Grandma's house or it'd be at Aunt Kathy's house and Uncle Lee's. And it was like, I don't know, there was just a, this anticipation, this excitement. We knew we'd get gifts. But do you remember this, Jay? We were on our way home from one of those parties. And I was probably eight or nine, so you were four or five. And I think we were like, can we open one present when we get home? Can we just open one present when we get home? And so it became this tradition where every Christmas we would get to open, or Christmas Eve, I should say, we'd open one gift. And it was so exciting because then the next day you had more. Now, I might be a little odd because, you know, most of the kids would be like, where's the biggest one? Because some reason they think the biggest box is like the best gift, which isn't always true, right? Especially, you ever done that thing to your kids because you love them so much that you have a box and a box and a box and a box and then it's this big inside? I haven't. I love my kids. But, but I was kind of odd because I would always look around. I wanted to find the smallest little gift because I wanted to save the best for Christmas morning. But either way, however we did it, there was this excitement. There's this anticipation that kids have to open up their gifts. There was a thrill in opening a gift. So here's my question. When will we have that same anticipation that same thrill, that same excitement for what the greatest gift Jesus has to offer. Because there's gifts laying all over under that tree in the spirit realm. Gifts are already there. In fact, you're the tree, right? It's in you. And he's saying, will you just unwrap what's already there? Will you, will you embrace? Will you lay hold? I, I just, I love the different languages that the scriptures are written in. And I love the word Greek. When it says to receive, it literally means to take. And I've said this before, but I never have to beg my kids to receive or take a gift. I mean, before I can even get all the way there, it's like, yeah, rip. And, and I really believe that God wants us to have that same excitement, that same anticipation for the gifts that he's already given us through Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, it's split up into the Torah or the law, but then there's some history, there's some Psalms, but then there's these books that we call the prophets. And there was a prophet, his name was Zephaniah, and he prophesied somewhere about 650 BC, it was over 600 years before Jesus was born, he prophesied of this gift called Jesus. So I want to take a look at this in Zephaniah chapter 3. It's interesting, it's Zephaniah 3.16. And John 3.16, pretty cool. Now, in some of your Bibles, it may say this, Israel's joyful song. But I want you to hear what the prophet says as he prophesies about this greatest gift, Jesus. Verse 16, he says, On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. Wow, that's huge. 
Look at this. He is a mighty savior. Now, now this, this is being prophesied to a people group who pretty much their whole existence have been enslaved. They, they've been oppressed. They've been exiled. So for them to hear these words, can you imagine? Like for us, we're like, oh, that's great. There, there's freedom and God smiles about us. But we live in a somewhat, I would say, pretty free country to do mostly what we want, right? But imagine this, hearing this for the Lord your God is living among you, which of course, even to this, to this people group at this time, we'd be like, well, what do you mean the gods live among us? They live far and away and we offer sacrifices and we hope maybe they're okay with us. Maybe they're not. We're not sure. My crops fail because they're angry. Uh, they, they, my crops flourish because they love me. Our, we won the battle. That means they're for us. We lost the battle. They must be angry with us. And so these are just the ideas they had. And the prophets say to them, listen, cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. Look at this. He will take delight in you with gladness. There was no other God at this time who was like this. With his love, oh, come on now. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you, listen to this, with joyful songs. You ever pictured God singing over you? I think it might have been, was it Jamie Engelhardt or maybe it was Jake, one of those crazy dudes that come through here. But <laughs> I remember they were talking about in Genesis when it said that God blessed them, that it actually means in the Hebrew that he knelt before them. But that's what we do to our little babies, don't we? Moms and dads, you sing over them, you nurture them, you take care of them. And this is how God saw Israel, his people. And Israel, to me, sure, were they chosen? Yeah, they were chosen, but they were chosen to saturate and permeate the world with the presence of God and show all people groups that they all were invited. Israel was supposed to be the example and be open. Listen to me, open. Because even the law says, when an immigrant or foreigner comes, be open and bless them. I wanted them, them to see that I'm different than every other God. But in this time of exile, look at this, it goes on. I want to go down to verse 19, the second part here. It says, I will bring together those who were chased away. I will glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked and shamed. Look at this. On that day, say on that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. So many ways we could take this. So give you the next three hours to deliberate. I'm just kidding. But you think about this idea that he wants to bring us home again. Well, you only go home again if that was your home in the first place. And this is prophesying about Jesus, the savior of not just Israel, but the world. So if this is true and this is what was prophesied, what do we see in the life of Jesus when he's here on this earth? Well, the main thing that I see in the life of Jesus is that he operates, get this, he operates outside the box. What I mean is, 
he operates outside the realm of religion. He operates outside the realm of government or empire. He, he's his own king of his own kingdom, and he operates differently. Listen, he doesn't choose friendships or relationships dependent on you and your performance or how you know, well you measure up according to a religious system. And we see this all through his life. He was welcoming of tax collectors and sinners. He welcomed them to his table. He broke bread with them. He ate with them. And guess what? He dined with Pharisees too. See, so many times, you know, we get into the grace camp and we look at those law people and we point our finger and they're pointing one right back and it's like, guys, we're doing the same thing. We become the very thing we've left. But Jesus, in his example, he would eat with tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, non-religious people, anyone. Think about this in the law. It was against the law of Moses to touch or be around the leper. And yet Jesus touched the lepers. Those with skin disorders. Those with disease. And he even allowed these notorious sinners to touch him. Totally against the grain. Totally against the system, right? So we have him feeding and forgiving and healing all who came to him. And then he would tell stories about the kingdom of God like the prodigal son. I haven't talked about that one in a while, Pete. Maybe one of, one of us need to tackle that. But the prodigal son, beautiful story. We have two sons. We have a son who leaves. We have a son who stays. But they both forgot their identity. But the story of the son who leaves is just huge to me. Because it's a story of a son who left his family, but the family never left him. He was welcome. Welcome back with open arms. You may have left the family, but the family has never left you. You still are part of this family. He would get powerful illustrations like the vine and the branches. I absolutely love this illustration. Basically, Jesus was telling us that we are united with him. And guess what? No one can take us out of that family dynamic. In fact, even our fruit or our good works, the things that we do, those good things that we do, they come by being joined to him. So it's not this lonely life journey. We do it together. Let me say it like this. The title of the message, The Gift of Family. We are family. How does that go? Brothers, sisters. See, there you go. You, you heathens. It's Christmas morning. We're singing Jesus songs. No, but that is a Jesus song to me. Every time I hear it, I'm like, we're family, man. And you know what? They're not just talking about like, you're literally a blood relative. No, we're together. We're family. I think about this idea of family. Pete and I were just talking this morning and we're talking about, you know, how blessed we are with our lower backs and how awesome they, how strong and sturdy they are. And, you know, sometimes we'll do a lot of manual labor and be like, oh, whoa, whoa. And we know, we know that little tinge that happens. But he and I, we, we used to be in a band. Well, we still in a band together, aren't we, Pete? We were in a different band together. We were in two bands together, bro. No, three bands together. They're like, I don't care about your history. Just tell the story. So we were in Massachusetts. Was it Massachusetts? We were doing a blue. What's that? It was called Cow Pie Fest? Well, he remembers, and I'll tell you why. So we had just gotten ready, done sound check, we had eaten, we got up on the stage, we're getting ready to, to play, and all of a sudden I look over and I see Pete, he's overdoing that, 
that thing on the floor you do. And I went, oh, dear Jesus, it's his back. And he's doing this thing. He's like, bro, you're right. He goes, man, I don't know. So then I see him like, like a 103-year-old man get up on the drums. And I look back. I got my bass on. I'm like, dude, we're getting ready to start. Are you okay? He goes, I'm just going to make it happen. So he's playing the whole time, man. Just, oh, I can see him like, he's getting the spirit in the blues world, you know? And he's all into it. But we get done and we come off stage. And I'm like, dude, don't worry. We'll get your stuff. So at one point I look and I, and I, I hear someone say, help. Andy. And I look and probably 50, 60 yards away towards the food tent, I see Pete. He's locked up in the middle of the field like this. I'm like, bro, what's up? And I come over there and, and I grab him like, what's up? He goes, dude, my back's ready to give out. Help me. So I'm helping him. I helped him all the way back to Michigan in a van back and forth. But we're talking about that. And I just said, you know, man, that's, that's what family is though. Pete and I don't have the same mom and dad but we have the same God. We have the same Father. We have the same divinity. We have the same, whatever word you want to use, that energy, that life force flowing through us that connects us together. And he's my brother. I'm his brother. John, we're brothers. We're brothers. Bud, we're brothers. Shonda, we're sisters. We're brothers and sisters. Andy, what are you? I don't know. I'm just getting in that mood. You know, I'm going to cry pretty soon probably, so just get ready. But I just love this connection that we have. I have a mother-in-law who's also my sister. There's this connection, though. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus was trying to show us this connective thing that we have together. And so in this story of the vine and branches, it's just beautiful. Because everything we do is an outflow of this relationship that we have together as family. There's this other story where Jesus says he went to the region of the Gerasenes. And as he goes across the water, they they couldn't get there unless they crossed water in a boat. He goes across, and there's this demon-possessed man on the other side. In fact, if you go one chapter before this story, Jesus says, we must go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. And sometimes we can just read over these points, but I think it's important because I think all of us have those other sides in life. In fact, he says, let's go to the other side where there's the demon-possessed man. And for a lot of us, I think we have the other side and we have people that we've demonized. I mean, you don't see it. I, I mean, election years, dear God. If you're not on my side, demonized. Other side. And I'm sure as heaven not going to get in my boat and cross over to meet you where you are. Now listen, I'm not telling you who you should vote for or all that stuff, but some of us as believers in Jesus who follow Jesus, who supposedly follow the kingdom, I see what you post sometimes on social media. I'm like, that's not the heart of Jesus. Hey, guess what? We live in a world where things aren't always right, where people do things that are wrong. I mean, Jesus wasn't on the ballot but I elect him as king of my life. And so what happens is it challenges even the way that I think when it comes to politics and people groups. And so it's really good that we have these discussions because, listen, we we either follow Jesus or we don't. And so we, again, we see Jesus. I mean, here's the heart of Jesus. And maybe we could be like Jesus where we have a heart to restore the other. 
versus demonizing them, we want to restore. And sometimes that starts with having a relationship with people and finding out why, why is it that you even have these viewpoints or these ideas. And then you might sit down and have a conversation and go, I never saw it that way. Duh. It's because you haven't lived their life. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be hard on Christmas morning. I'm, I'm just trying to get us to realize that Jesus was trying to awaken us to this sense of family, that everyone is our family. And sometimes we are too busy labeling people. We're too busy building walls and separating people. And Jesus did not do that. So, so we see Jesus. He came to this world. He showed us the way home. Those who were driven away, those who were chased away, those who were demonized, and those who were outcast. He returns us home. Let me say it again. We are a family. Say that with me. We are a family. That's beautiful. I've shared this story before. As I bring things to a close, I just want to share this story because I think it warrants sharing again. It's really the perfect modern-day picture of what happens, I believe, when the greatest gift, Jesus, intersects with humanity. And it's the Christmas truce of 1914. So let's take a little trip back. Close your eyes if you like. I want to paint a picture for you. But this is during World War I. It's December 24th, 1914. It's on the Western Front near Ypres. You have Belgium on the border there with France. And you have this trench warfare at its absolute worst. Trench warfare. Do we even know what that's like? I haven't been in the trench. Now, I've seen some movies, and it's pretty grueling. But trench warfare at its worst. You have the British on one side. You have Germans on the other. The smell of mustard gas in the air. Corpses, that's the best way I can put it, laying all around. Bullets, disease. Men are living weeks at a time in trenches. Get this, killing each other to gain 100 feet and then to lose 100 feet. Killing some more to gain 100 feet and then to lose 100 feet. And it goes on and on and on. For weeks, British and the Germans. So it's Christmas Eve in 1914 and the story goes that some German soldier, he starts singing from his trench. What song is that? I almost started crying there. He starts singing Silent Night, which, by the way, is a German song. It's where it originated. But here's the British on the other side, and they recognize the tune. They know it. So as German soldiers join in singing Silent Night in German, the British begin to sing in English together. You have two nations represented by men who believe in Jesus. Both sides believe in Jesus who confess Christ as the Prince of Peace. Did you hear me? The Prince of Peace stuck in a trench shooting at each other. And they both would say, we love Jesus, we follow Jesus. 
But now, Christmas Eve, 1914, something powerful happens. They're singing a song together. Now, eventually, someone gets brave enough to crawl up out of his trench. Now, how many know that's not the best thing to do in trench warfare? Another follows, another follows, another follows from both sides. They begin to come out of their trenches and they meet in the middle, a place they call no man's land, and they begin to exchange gifts and food. Get this, names and addresses. People they were just shooting at an hour before, they're exchanging names and addresses with. It's like, they just came up with their own unauthorized truce. And then the next day, Christmas Day, they met again. No weapons, no killing. They ate together. Get this. They received communion together. There's something that happens When you sit down and you have a relationship with somebody. Sworn enemies who were doing their duty, what they were told, what they were indoctrinated with, that is the enemy, that is the enemy, were now becoming friends and sharing the Lord's Supper, his meal together. This is so beautiful. This is what Jesus does. There's even, uh, some people say they even played soccer together that day. In fact, to this day, there's a cross monument in that field. And part of the tradition is to bring a soccer ball and lay it at the foot of the cross. Just in remembrance of that time. See, the gift of Jesus brings salvation. What is salvation? It's not just a ticket to heaven when we die. It's restoration. It's healing. It's rescue. It's deliverance. And salvation came to those men on Christmas Eve of 1914. But here's the thing. We have to awaken to this gift. We have to awaken to the sense that we're connected to all humanity and that Jesus desires for us to love and embrace all people, all nations. This isn't just some sweet pie-in-the-sky message on Sunday morning for Christmas. This is what Jesus was all about. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? He accepted everyone where they were. And Jesus is so perfect at showing us our blind spots and helping us to mature and grow. But for some of us, that's not our job. It's not to try to tell people what to do or how to do it. Maybe it's just to have a friendship with them and a relationship. And maybe they'll change you more than you'll change them because you start seeing your own blind spots. I believe Holy Spirit has a way of, in relationship, helping you to see, wow, I... I got some stuff wrong there. I was seeing that person wrong. I was seeing that issue wrong. And wow, thank you, Holy Spirit. You, you utilize this person in such a way that I'm beginning to see the truth. And what does knowing the truth do? It sets us free. So the next day after Christmas, the war, of course, resumed. But many of these men, they could no longer shoot their newfound friends. Even some of the officers got court-martialed for this Christmas truce. But let me say this, not by the Prince of Peace. There was no one court-martialed in heaven. There was no one court-martialed by Jesus on this day. 
So what lessons can we learn from this Christmas truce? Because I think it fits so perfectly within the gift of being part of a family. Think about this. What trenches have we dug and planted ourselves into? Trenches that we fight for. I mean, we, we dig our heels in, refusing to embrace, refusing to love, refusing to show grace and forgiveness to those who are not in our trench, who are not in our box. And Jesus is showing us a completely different way. And I know for some of us, it's scary. It's like, well, I don't know, I don't know. Then step out in faith. Start up a conversation with someone you would never in your life ever do. It may change the way you think. But see, we get so scared. We're like, well, if I talk to that person, they're going to rub off of me. And who knows the next thing I know, I'm not going to church and I'm just out living this crazy life. But listen, Jesus is the greater one. He lives inside you. The Holy Spirit wants us to connect with people. You don't have to agree with everything they do to connect. But my God, how can they see the light if we don't have a relationship with them? Is this making sense? And let me just say this. Everyone has their trenches. Because it's easy to go, well, I don't think I have any trenches. But, but we do. We have conservative trenches and we have liberal trenches. We have denominational trenches. We have non-denominational trenches. We have black and white trenches, gay and straight trenches. The list goes on and on and on. And we try to label people. We want to stay in our trench. And we try to get people to come to our trench. And if they don't, then we'll just shoot back at them instead. But when we awaken to this, this beautiful gift of family, it changes how we see others. The gift of Jesus, it includes the gift of family. So really what mind changes? That word repentance is changing your mind in the Greek. And then in the Hebrew, it says to turn and go the other way. So for a lot of us, we need to change our mind. We need to turn and go a different way and, and really experience. What can we do to experience this Christmas season in such a way that we're tearing down the walls of separation? Not just between God and us, but us and them. What steps can we take this Christmas season? Great time. I mean, the end of the year, going into a new year, to bring the gift of family to our world. And each of us has to answer that in our own way. But I believe that Holy Spirit is moving on the hearts of people this morning here and even online to say, wow, what trench have I dug? Where am I digging my heels in? And I refuse to see someone else as even human. And I say this because I've been there many times myself, not even realizing it. But there's something about this Jesus, this gift. There's something about the kingdom. It just puts you in such a different mode of life and a way of thinking where those barriers we've built, those veils, they just begin to disintegrate and they're no longer there and you can start to see people as people with dreams and loves and, and hurts and sorrow and wins and losses and success, just like you, just like me. And when we do, that's allowing the greater one to live through us. And one thing that really took the pressure off for me as a pastor 
is for years I thought my job was to try to get people to change. Like, man, that person's not changing. I got to get them to change. I got to get them to change. But, you know, my way of changing was preaching from the pulpit, some legalism or something. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And I'm like, why are you guys thinking about sin? <laughs> don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. But I, I switched it up. I flipped the script. What do I say now? You're good, you're good, you're accepted, you're worthy, you're perfect, you're holy. This is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. See, it's often when you tell somebody who they are, they'll eventually begin to live that. And so it should go outside these four walls. It's just not the job of Pastor Andy to do that. That's our job as well. But it took the pressure off because I realized I can connect with and have relationship with any and everybody I'm not scared of anyone, lifestyle, background, non-denominational, denominational, whoever they are. I can sit with anyone, and I'm comfortable because I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm comfortable in who Jesus has made me to be. And even if I don't agree, that's okay. I don't even have to say anything. I can just love them where they are. And it's in those relationships. I've had relationships with people who were complete atheists. And it's funny because when they found out your parents, like, oh, no, you know I'm an atheist, right? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I got to go now. And I was just joking. But I'm like, okay, that's cool. You don't believe in God and I do. But that doesn't change our relationship. That blows people's minds. And then in those relationships, I've, I've never been like, Holy Spirit, where's, where's the, I'm looking for that little, that, little, that little spot so I can get in there and give them some scriptures and stuff, you know? Because we do that, right? We're trained to do that, but instead I just hear their life story. Wow, you're going through that in your marriage? Man, that's, oh man, you're looking for another job. Is it okay if I, can I pray for that? And it's funny, I've never had one atheist go, no, do not pray. They're like, yeah, man, you know, prayers and positive thoughts, you know, let's do it. And so they're all for that. And I'll pray for them right there. And they don't have an issue with it. But it's funny, like I have one friend who was an atheist and then about a year later of our relationship, he was an agnostic. And the last time I talked to him, he was like, he actually said, share a little bit about this, Jesus. And so I was able to share this beautiful story of a God who wasn't angry. Come on now. A God who loved them so much. And all he desires for is us to say yes to a relationship that's already been there. It's always been there. And his response was, what? I've never heard that before. I'm going to think about this. And I didn't have to use Bible verses. I didn't have to hit them overhead with anything. But see, that's how it works. It's loving people where they are. So again, what steps can we take this Christmas season to bring the gift of family to our world? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful Christmas season through all the gifts and the giving and the lights and just all the, the beauty, trying to maybe forget a lot of what's happened in 2020. I pray that through this process, that us who profess to be followers of Jesus, that we're awakening, that we're becoming aware of who we are and whose we are to a point where we're crawling up out of those trenches and we're inviting people from their trenches not to join us in our trench, but to join us in the middle. Some people would call this no man's land, but I believe it's called the kingdom. 
It's a place where we can find common ground. It's a place where we develop relationship. And as we develop that relationship, certainly, Holy Spirit, you're always working through us and through the hearts of people to bring us to this place where we truly discover who and whose we are. So I pray that through this season and as we get into this new year that maybe for some of us, we would have this paradigm shift. We would have this repentant heart that, Father, I've never seen this before, but I have some blind spots. I, I, I've, been, I've been creating this us and them mentality, and I didn't even realize it. There's this person at work. Uh, there's this person I used to have as a friend. There's this person in my neighborhood. There's this person at the grocery store that I go to, and because of the life they live or the way they seem, I push them out. And it wasn't like a purpose thing. Like I said, I want nothing to do with them, but something was between us, and I felt like there's no way I can be with that person. I pray that you would open up those opportunities for us to just speak life into others. After all, the very source of life lives within us. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for showing me that I'm worth it, that I am good enough, that I am pleasing. Help me to see more and more who I truly am. Holy Spirit, if there's any blind spots or any issues in my heart, show those to me. And Jesus, I give you permission to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to bring restoration to those areas of my life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.